God is so good. He is glory. He is power. He is beauty. He is truth. He is love. He is life. And he is trustworthy and you can build your life on him. I believe somebody here today, maybe me, maybe somebody watching, God has a word for us today that if we're willing to build that foundation upon his love, that he wants to do something brand new in us. He is the God of, of brand new. Where every day God is moving, he is working. Maybe he wants to do something in you today. We've been talking about love all this month. Love God, love people. Today, uh, we're exploring maybe uh, the messiest of all the topics as we explore how do we love our families. Let me ask you, uh, who's willing to admit that at least maybe I've made at least one mistake when it comes to loving family? Anybody? You feel like maybe I've made at least one mistake? Yeah. How many of us are willing to admit that absolutely, no doubt about it, there are people in my family who have made mistakes <laughs> about loving family? Yeah. We've all made mistakes when it comes to loving family. What matters is not whether or not we make mistakes. What matters is are we willing to learn from and grow from the mistakes that we make? One of the greatest inventors uh, of American history, a guy named Thomas Edison, uh, we, many of us heard him. He's contributed so much to what we know as a light bulb, but he actually invented hundreds of things. Uh, and he was known to, or uh, it was guessed that he made about 10,000 mistakes in the work that he did trying to bring inventions uh, to other people. And he was asked about this one time, and he was quoted as saying, I haven't made 10,000 failures. I haven't even made one failure, but I found 10,000 ways that do not work. <laughs> it is so important for us to learn from the mistakes in our lives. A wise person is willing to learn from the mistakes that they make. But a really wise person is willing to learn from the mistakes that other people make so that you don't have to experience the consequences of the mistakes. Now, it, it is a gift that we have in Scripture, particularly when it comes to loving family, that we have several examples of what not to do. But are we willing to learn from the mistakes that others have made? So as we explore what it looks like for us to love family, we're going to look at one of those stories of what not to do with a family, Isaac, Rebecca, Jacob, and Esau. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to, to mark Genesis chapter 25. That's where we're going to land this morning. But I want to come back and, and set up the story a little bit. In Genesis chapter 12, God reaches out to a man named Abram. Now God is going to change his name to Abraham, but he makes a promise to Abram. He says, I'm going to bless you, and you're going to be a blessing to the world. That what I want to do in the world and bringing my love and bringing my grace and bringing my power, I'm going to do through your family. And the way I'm going to begin it is I'm going to give you a son. 
Now, Abram is married to Sarah. They're, they're old in age, don't have children yet, and so they're wondering how God is going to do this. And as you read through from Genesis chapter 12 forward, they just go on this roller coaster of a ride with God and how he moves and how they try to get in the way, and God restores anyway. And eventually they have a son named Isaac. Isaac grows up. It's time for Isaac to get married. Uh, they know that they have this promise of God, and so they send Isaac away to find a wife from a land where their family lives rather than marrying into with the Canaanite people. Uh, Isaac meets this woman, falls in love with a woman named Rebecca, and he has this, this godly sign that this is the woman he's supposed to marry. They get married. Everything seems to be going well. They're holding on to this promise that they, was given to, to their father that God's got this blessing. He's got something he's going to do in their life that's going to come through their children. There's just one problem. Isaac and Rebecca don't have any children. And so Isaac goes to God and he prays and he said, God, you have given this blessing. You have given this, given this promise. You have said there's something you want to do. So we need you to show up and show off the way that you so often do. God, will you give us a child? God shows up. And Rebecca becomes pregnant. But Rebecca begins to realize that there's something stirring, something maybe not quite right going on within her. So she goes to God and she says, God, what in the world is happening? What is going on with this pregnancy? And God says to Rebecca, you don't have one child, but you have two. But the only thing about this is what you are experiencing are the two children are wrestling. They're feuding with one another, and this isn't going to go away. As a matter of fact, they're going to feud all through their lives, and things are not going to be easy for you. That the blessing is not always an easy ride. And so Rebecca begins to, to wrestle with this, and God says to her that it's going to be so significant that the younger will be served by the older. Everything that you expect in life is going to be flipped upside down. And so we begin to see this played out in the struggle in their family. But what I want us to understand this morning is that it was more than just a sibling rivalry. There's actually something much deeper happening in this family. A troubled story of a godly people. So let's look at Genesis chapter 25. And let's see if we can get down to the the foundation of the struggle. Chapter 25, verse 27. The boys grew up, and Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the open country, while Jacob was content to stay at home among the tents. Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, loved Esau, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Now, if we were to just scratch the surface, we might think that, that perhaps this Jacob and, I mean, Isaac and Rebecca, they're, they're doing their best to love their kids, and, and maybe one's a little drawn to the other than, than the other parent is, but at least they're doing their very best to just express love and show love to these two boys that they have. But if we dig a little deeper, there, there's something going on because this word love is not the word love that you and I might be thinking of. It's not the, the word that we so, so often talk about when we say God's love in the New Testament. Uh, the Greek word is agape. We talked about several weeks ago. It's a self-giving, sacrificial, unconditional kind of love. That is not the word that we have here. Uh, perhaps a better word might be that Isaac gave affection to Esau 
And Rebekah gave affection to Jacob. Now, why would we, they do this? Well, we see that it's unconditional. Why does Isaac show affection to Esau? It says because of the wild game that Esau brought back. A, a literal translation of it is that, that Esau had affection, or Isaac had affection for Esau because of the wild game in his mouth. And why did Rebekah give affection to Jacob? Well, perhaps it was because Jacob uh, stayed close to home. He was a farmer. He, he stayed around. Maybe he and Rebekah had conversation, and they encouraged each other, and, and they supported one another as mother and son. Maybe Rebekah thought she knew the meaning of God's words about these two boys, that perhaps she thought Jacob was the one who would rule the family, and she just wanted to hitch her wagon to Jacob and see if she could be a part of making this come true. But in any case, we see that both Isaac and Rebekah have attached conditions to their affection for their children. And we begin to see all kinds of mess rise up out of this pattern that they establish. And we can look at this family starting with Isaac and Rebekah. And if you're taking notes, write this down. The beginning with Isaac and Rebekah, the entire family is consumed with pride and self-focus. Pride and self-focus. Every single one of them had a prideful agenda. They had expectations. They had desires for their life. They had a plan that they thought was best, and they wanted to see it happen, and it was all wrapped around their desire, their thought, their life. Isaac and Esau looked around and they had a plan for their life. Uh, Rebecca and Jacob looked around, they had a plan for their life, they had an agenda. And, it, and it, all of it was this self-centered, selfish, self-focused motivation. And everyone in the family uses one tool that many of us also are tempted, maybe we're guilty at times, of using this tool, and it was the tool of manipulation. We look at Isaac and Esau, and they manipulated people and circumstances to feed their appetite. We look at Rebekah and Jacob, and they manipulated people and circumstances to get an upper hand. And how many of us, in the same way, give in to manipulation? And we try to, to give or withhold reward from other people to try to get what we want. That's what manipulation is. And we see this story unfold, and as a matter of fact, the writers of Scripture give us two big examples of just how bad this got. At one point, we see Jacob, and he, as Scripture tells us, that he steals the birthright from Esau. Now, quickly, the birthright was the right, the, the privilege, the responsibility of the oldest born son to be the leader of the family. So Esau, as the firstborn son, had the privilege that one day he was going to be the leader, the authoritarian, the decision maker for all of his family. And along with that, typically you would get a double portion of inheritance from the father. So twice as much as Jacob, he's going to rule over Jacob. He's going to be the one in authority, the decision maker, the leader, the ruler of this family. Esau comes in from hunting Perhaps he hasn't taken seriously this gift that he's been given as the firstborn son. Maybe he thinks that he can manipulate and control the circumstance no matter what happens. And he, so he makes a command to Jacob and he says, I want you to make me something to eat. I'm starving. And Jacob sees his, his moment. 
his moment to control somebody, to control the situation. He says, I will only give you some food if you give me your birthright. And so Jacob manipulates his brother to get the upper hand to move his agenda forward. We fast forward in the story. And Jacob and his mother, Rebecca, decide it's not just enough to have the birthright, but they want the fatherly blessing as well. The blessing was something the father gave to his sons, and there was a special blessing to be given to the firstborn son. It was almost like a prophecy of sorts. It was setting your children up for successes. This is what I believe God is going to do, and I desire for God to do in your life, and I want to push you out of the nest and into the world to see you succeed. And Jacob says, I want that blessing that belongs to Esau. So he and his mother, they get this plan together, and, and they know that their father Isaac is losing his eyesight. And Isaac says, uh, very selfishly, by the way, as the time of blessing comes, he says to Esau, hey, Esau, go out and get me something to eat and bring me my favorite meal, and then and only then I'm going to give you a blessing. And Rebecca overhears it, so they come up with a plan, and they cover Jacob with animal skin, and they put Jacob in Esau's clothing, and they bring Isaac his favorite meal. And Jacob steals not only the birthright, but now the blessing from Esau. Things are getting as bad as they possibly can get. As a matter of fact, at what point Esau looks at Jacob, and he says, if I ever see you again, I'm going to kill you. So Jacob leaves not knowing if he'll ever be reconciled, if he'll ever see his family again, as bad as bad can get. Now let me pause just for a second, and before we are too quick to just say, you know what, this is one of those crazy stories of the Bible, it's just, you know, embellished, and it's just over the top, just to show us an example that, that if we watch, if we don't watch out, we might get in a bad place, but that's not really me, it's kind of a distant story, it doesn't, it's not indicative of my life. That's the temptation for us, but before we're willing to go there, I want us to have an honest moment of confession, at least to ourselves, that don't we too sometimes operate with our families out of a prideful agenda, out of a selfish focus? I mean, how many of us would be guilty of saying that, that I've treated my family with, I've manipulated them, I've tried to control them because I had a plan and I had an expectation and, and I had an agenda that I wanted to move forward. Maybe it's that temptation for those of us who are parents to push our kids into activities of sports or music or theater or whatever it might be, academics. Not necessarily because they've got a, a genuine calling from God or, or, or a special gift, but because we're living through them. Or, or maybe because it gives us a good reputation. Or maybe even we, we think to ourselves, well, that's my financial relief in the future. This is the college scholarship, and so I'm going to push this forward because this is my plan. Or, or those of us who are married, how many times do we push our spouse? We push them into a job, or we push them into a relationship, or a group of people, or an activity, or a commitment, not because that's what's best for them, or because what God is leading them to, or God has a calling in their life, but because if I can get them to do that, then that'll feed into my expectations for life, and it'll feed into my desires for life, and it'll give me the life that I've always wanted. And so we push them because of our plan. 
Or, or maybe those of us, you've got aging parents, and you're having to make decisions with brothers and sisters and cousins or other family members. And you push those family members into decisions, not because it's what's best for the parents, but because it's what's easiest for me. Or we treat other family members with, with decisions or choices or activities, that, and, and we circle it back around to what's best for me, what will feed into my plan, because we have a prideful agenda that's all about me. Or how many of us in an honest moment would not have to confess that, that so often the way we treat our family members is entirely self-focused? Maybe we just insist on what we want to do, no matter how it affects anybody else. Or it could be that temptation to, to disappear for the weekend and go do what I want to do. Or veg out in front of the TV and disengage. Or, or maybe it's just that I insist on what I want, and if I don't get what I want, then I get frustrated and I get bitter, or maybe I retreat. Or it could be the way that so many of us find ourselves again and again just circling that conversation back to what I think and what I want and what I need and what's going on in my life. Completely self-focused. But here's the good news. God shows up for Isaac and Rebekah. He doesn't pull back the blessing and be like, you're disqualified now. Your, your selfish acts ha have kept you from what I want to do in your life, and so just go on with your way, and I'm going to go find somebody else. That's not what God does. God moves in Isaac's life, and the blessing extends to Jacob and beyond. He moves in Jacob's life, this incredible story where, where God meets Jacob in, in his loneliness. He's, he's out by himself, and it says that God wrestled with God, and Jacob limps away from that encounter with God, never the same. And God had changed his heart. Or even with Jacob and Esau, the last words that Jacob heard from Esau was, I'm going to kill you. And yet God moves in their hearts and stirs in their hearts that eventually they're reconciled and restored to one another. The good news is that God redeems and restores our families when we turn to him. Here's the great news. That God wants to redeem and restore your family and your story. I hope you never come into this place without, without hearing the name of Jesus because when, when we call out to the name of Jesus, it changes everything. There is power in the name of Jesus. That God loved the world so much, he sent his son to die for us. And when Jesus was on that cross, before he took his final breath, he said, it is finished. I have done everything that I've come to do. And then a few days later, we find that Jesus rose from the dead that we might have life. That we don't have to be captive to, to the sin and the brokenness and the things that were, but we can step into redemption and restoration and new life and new hope no matter how broken our family is. Because I know the reality is that many of us find ourselves in chains and shackles in the brokenness of family, not because of something that we've done, because of mom and dad, our grandma and grandpa, our great-grandfather and great-grandmother, are on down the line, and we experience the brokenness of the generational curses that have come down. And we feel the chains. And we wonder, how could it be any different? 
can be different because of Jesus. I want you to repeat after me. Jesus loves me. Jesus is for me. Jesus is the chain breaker. Jesus sets me free. What I want to ask you this morning is, do you really believe that? Not just kind of a, a, a bullet point doctrine that I'm supposed to agree to, but deep in your soul, in the fiber of your being, do you rest in that? Do you trust in that, that Jesus can break the chains? If we will just trust him and say, you do for me what I cannot do. You do for my family what I cannot do. Now, what does that look like for us? How do we let Jesus do for us? what we cannot do. I just want to lift up one practical tool that we can all take away of maybe how we can surrender what, what God wants to do through us through the love of Jesus Christ. There's an incredible book. Uh, it's a marriage book called The Marriage Builder by Larry Crabb. And in this book, he talks about the temptation, the struggle that so many of us face in marriage, and I would say in family. Brothers, sisters, mom, dad, husband, wife, kids, aunt, uncle, cousin, my brother from another mother, you know, all those people that we call family, the temptation that we have to manipulate and control because we're afraid that if we don't, I won't be okay. And my encouragement for us of how we can surrender and step into what Jesus wants to do for our families, if you're taking notes, you can write this down, is to choose ministry over manipulation. And what is ministry? It's just simply to say, I'm going to serve you. I'm going to lift you up to God. That I know God has love for you and grace for you and mercy for you and a plan for you. God has power for you. And I'm going to serve you. And I'm going to love you. And I'm going to forgive you. And I'm going to lift you up to God because he wants to do great things in your life. And I'm not going to give or withhold things from you to try to get what I want, but I'm going to serve you and, and love you and, and offer up everything I can that God might move for what God wants to do in you. I think that the way that we begin to do that is to really trust that God loves me. To be able to say and believe and trust that God is good, that God is powerful, and that God is for me. You know, the reason that we try to control other people and we try to con control circumstances is because we believe that if we don't wrap our arms around it, that we're not going to be okay. But what we can begin to do is understand that I am okay, not because I'm so smart or so good or because I control all this stuff happening, but because my God is good and my God is powerful and my God is for me and he's working all things out for good when I submit to him, when I chase after him, when I pursue him. And then I'm okay because God is at work in my life. Whether or not I get what I want out of brother or sister or mom or dad or husband or wife, whether or not I get what I think I need or deserve, it doesn't matter because God knows what I need. And he's moving for my good. And then it comes from a commitment to say, I don't exist for my family to serve me, but I'm going to serve them. 
that the world does not rotate around me and these people around me, my husband, wife, my kids, my mom, my dad, my brother, sister, whoever it is, they do not exist to come and serve me and do what I want them to do. Now, most of us are not so brash and overt to say to other people, you need to bow down to me and you need to serve me, but we do it in really sophisticated ways, don't we? I think so sophisticated that most of us don't even realize we're doing it. But what would it look like for us to say, I'm going to commit to serve rather than be served? And then an understanding to know that I cannot control anybody else in my family. Now, certainly the temptation sometimes is to try to control other people so that they will give us what I want. But I wonder how much more often do we try to control other people because we think we know what is best for them. And so we put on the the superhero cape and we get into their life and we're like, do what I tell you to do because I know what's best for you and I know how you can get out of this mess and I know how you can get out of this junk and I'm going to save you and I'm going to set you free. Well, newsflash, you are not their savior. They have a savior. And our job is to love them and point it to him. So much of the time when we fall into that trap of if I, I've got to control this person and I've got to heal them and I've got to set them free, all we do is we either push them away or we enable them to keep making bad choices. What might it look like if we said, I'm not going to try to control anymore. I'm just going to lift them up. And then finally, just to know that I don't have to get anything back to choose to love. No matter what I get in return, if you never come back, if you never stop the insults, if you never get clean, if you never get a job, if you never stop with the negativity, if you never stop in this spiral of bad choices, if you never listen to me, if you never say thank you, if you never say I love you, if you never come around to what I want for you, it doesn't matter. I'm going to keep loving you without, without boundary, without border, without halt, because my God has never stopped loving me. And as much as I love you, God loves you more, and he's got a plan, and he's got a purpose and there's nothing I could ever do that God couldn't do more. There's no switch I could ever flip. There's no statement I could ever say. There's no circumstance that I could ever orchestrate to step into the place of God in your life. And even more than that, I don't have to wait for anything back from you to keep loving you. Why? Because I know I'm okay. Even if I get insults and rejection and more bad choices back from you out of my pursuit to love, and sometimes loving is hard. Sometimes it means putting boundaries in place. Sometimes it means making hard decisions. But I'm gonna keep loving you. Why? Because my God is for me. And my God is giving me a new morning. And my God is giving me promises. And my God's given me a future, a future for hope and for good. And while we're at it, God has those same promises for you and a new day for you and hope for you. And all I can do is reflect that love to you and pray that one day you'll see it. So I'm going to choose to minister. I'm going to serve rather than manipulate and try to control. Why? Because God's at work. And I'm okay. 
because God's for me. Maybe for some of us here today, maybe watching online, your next step is to really trust and believe, again, not as a box to check off, but deep in your heart, that God is good and God is powerful and God is for me. That Jesus came into the world to die, not just for the world, but for me, because he loves me. And you can know, maybe for the first time, that I'm okay because God is at work. If that's where you are, I just want you to silently, you don't even have to close your eyes, but just silently lift up in your heart, God, I need you. God, I need you not as, not as a bullet point, not as a doctrine, not, not as a statement. God, I need you as a living God, as the one who's come into my life to forgive me and break the chains and set me free. God, I need you. I confess that I've tried to do this on my own, but I cannot. I'm broken. God, set me free. God, forgive me. God, fill me with your Holy Spirit. Help me to know that I am loved in you and so that I can let love in to let love out. Maybe some of us here this morning are watching online where you're at, your next step, as you've taken a little piece of your life and you've hidden it away from God and everybody else and you've tried to deal with it on your own. Maybe it's that bitterness and brokenness, that woundedness. Maybe it's the lie that you agreed to that came all the way from childhood. Maybe there was something that was said or not said or done or not done. Maybe the person that you needed to be there wasn't there. I don't know, maybe it happened last week to you and you're wrestling with that and you've hidden it away and you need God to bring some healing. If that's where you are, I just want you to lift up silently your heart, God, I'm broken and I'm hurting and I'm wounded and I'm tempted to lash out because of that pain. I'm tempted to control because of that pain, but I need your Holy Spirit to come into my life and heal that place. I'm, I'm pulling it out and I'm offering it to you, Lord. I don't want to carry it anymore. Maybe you're here this morning, maybe you're watching online and where you're at this morning is you need to confess that you have been trying to control. You've been trying to control your kids or your spouse or your mom and dad or brother or sister or aunt, uncle, cousin, neighbor, friend, I don't know. And you're trying to control because of that place of fear that I'm not sure that my world will be okay if I stop controlling. And you need to confess that today and say, God, forgive me. If that's where you are, I just want you to lift up in your heart. Lord, I need forgiveness for all the manipulation and all the fear. I trust in you that I don't have to control because you are bigger. God, you take it. Forgive me, Lord. Help me to just love unconditionally. Maybe you're here this morning, maybe you're watching online and where you're at today as you have that person that you love so much and you see the brokenness and you see the pain, and you see him spiraling out of control, and you see him continuing to make bad decisions, and the temptation for you is to put on the superhero cape, and I'm encouraging you today, do not put on that cape. It does not belong to you, but lift them up to the Lord. Say, God, I need you to do in my family what I cannot do. If you're there, I just want you to lift up silent in your heart, Lord. You know the name, you know him or you know her. You know the circumstance, you know the pain. Would you heal it? God, would you, would you interfere in their life and the circumstances and in the relationships and things that are happening that they might see your face clearly and know that you love them and set them free? I don't know where we are this morning, 
where you come from, what you're working through in life, but I know that God wants to, to redeem and God wants to restore. If we'll say, I'm not gonna control, I'm just gonna love. Even when it's hard, I'm just gonna love. Even when I don't get anything back, I'm just gonna love. Even when I have an agenda, I'm gonna set it aside and I'm just gonna love. And I'm gonna look for God, your plan and your purpose in my family and stop trying to force my plan and purpose. I'm just gonna love. So if you'll stand, I just wanna pray for all of us that we would have the faith and the courage to take that step. We're gonna sing one more song. When I say amen and walk off this stage, we're gonna sing and these altar rails are gonna be open. And if you got anything at all that you wanna pray through, I encourage you to come or kneel in your seat or go out in the hallway and just meet with the Lord because God wants so desperately for you to be set free from the things that we allow to continue to hold on to us. If you want somebody to pray with you, just wave them over, you can pray on your own. But let's see what God's gonna do. So let's pray together. Father, thank you for this gift that we call family. It doesn't always look like what we would want. It's not always what we would choose. We don't always land in the family that we think we would want. But it is a gift, Lord, where we learn how to love and be loved, to know and be known, to forgive and be forgiven, to give mercy and to hold on with unwavering commitment to love and be compassionate, even when it's difficult, Lord. Build endurance in us, shape us and change us through our families. We pray for the broken, we pray for the lost, we pray for the wounded, we pray for ourselves, maybe we are one of those. Come Holy Spirit and do what only you can do. Bring revival and awakening to our families, Lord. Bring love in us so that you can bring it out of us. That our eyes and our ears be open to just who you are and what you want to do and the, the unbounded nature of your love for us. And through our families and the transformation and what you're going to do, God, we want you to receive glory and honor and praise. So come Holy Spirit. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.